0: Welcome to the Real Education Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Bowles, and on this show I interview remarkable people who think way outside the box in education. To listen to more episodes, learn more about my guests, or become a patron of this ad and sponsor free show, visit blakebowles.com slash podcast. You can also email me at yours truly at blakebowles.com. Now, onto the show. My guest today is Eric Werner, Executive Director of Global Works, a company providing service-focused travel for high schoolers. Eric, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Tell us about Global Works. What is it? What do you do?
1: Well, Global Works uh, is an organization that offers uh, community service-focused travel experiences for high school students. And we operate two Divisions, if you will, of global works, one being we work exclusively with schools uh, to customize a travel program, typically of seven to 14 days. Um, uh, They're all travel. They're all international travel programs. Um, Like I said, the community service is a big part of who and what we are. Um, And so we offer these school trips. And then in the summer, we also offer uh, about 25 trips for high school students that are open to enrollment for students from across the country. um, And are typically students do not know each other previously, they are trips lasting from two to four weeks long, and um, we hire the staff, obviously, that come along on the trips, and it's really a blend of the the group experience, um, like I said, with the, the community service focus, The cultural exchange, we believe in authentic um, exchanges with uh, organizations and communities around the world. And then an element of an adventure, an adventure travel. um, We're a travel company uh, foremost. And so exploring the, the amazing places that all these countries have to offer is a big part of what we do.
0: And what are a few countries that you typically visit? Um
1: probably our most popular destination uh is Costa Rica. Um I think, you know, it, it certainly well has a well-deserved reputation as being a place that um has an amazing, you know, environmental ecosystems, um all kinds of amazing adventure travel, but also really um genuine communities um where we get off the beaten track and you know, go into these small communities and oftentimes are doing homestays with families um, and projects as well. So Costa Rica is a great one, um, but we do run trips in about uh, 18 countries around the world. So uh, after Costa Rica, Puerto Rico, popular destination, Peru, Ecuador, um, we're also running trips in Europe, in France and Spain, which take on a different nature with regards to the service. Um, and uh, other countries, as well, such as New Zealand, um, Australia, Fiji, um, could go on, but uh, some of the more
0: popular. So, as many listeners know, I run trips for teenagers, also a lot fewer than Global Works does, and I also like to do them a little bit differently. And so, this is a an area really close to my heart. Um, so, Global Works. I mean, there's there are dozens and dozens of companies out there that will take a teenager if you pay them money to some foreign country and give them an experience. Uh, What do you think makes Global Works different from the pack?
1: Yeah, uh, agreed. I mean, there certainly has been a proliferation, especially I would say over the last uh, five to eight years, you know, of organizations offering uh, these type of community service experiences. Um, You know, this is our 25th year. Um, Global Works got its start um, in 1990. And um, we really feel that our strength is, first of all, the fact that that's the the community service focus um, has always been what we do from the very first trip um, to today. Um, There's a lot of organizations out there that, uh, you know, may have done more of the adventure travel and that kind of thing and and have come on to the community service um, genre, if you will. So, um, I think our strength it, over 25 years is building programs that have well-designed, you know, service projects that, uh, you know, we have a whole process of soliciting what are projects that are needed um, in the communities um, and then are executed in a way that we're working with and and not for communities. We, we don't just want to be you know, the golden goose off on the side. Um, but
0: what does that distinction mean, with, mm-hmm. not for? Can you dive into that?
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, we want and we request from the community that, like I said, that it's, it's a project that's needed and that there is local participation. Um, so that's what I mean by that. And I, and I think also going beyond just doing the project and then, you know, um, dusting off our hands and, and going to our, you know, hotel at night. Um, in most of these locations, we are, like I said, staying with families, and then it spills over into, um, you know, to, to, to sharing, you know, moments in the evenings and games and activities. Um, so those kind of things, um, I think, you know, is what makes experience meaningful. And for us, the, the community service really, um, we say our, our slogan is travel with purpose, and uh it really the service forms a, a bridge to to interact um you know what is your purpose in traveling why are you there are you there to take pictures are you there to learn are you there to um and so the service is uh may sound may sound cheesy but the bread we break together you know mm-hmm. i mean it's 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 how we interact is what brings us together and i think Um, you know, for for people, it it builds trust um, that we're there for more than
0: just our own consumption and moving on. It sounds like you have a pretty pretty big focus on not being that volunteer group that comes in and builds a house or rescues some turtles that might not even need rescuing, and then just sweeps away, uh, feeling really good about themselves, but not having affected any sort of and a larger change there's two words that you really focus on in your literature which are sustainable and authentic mm-hmm. um, like how do you do it seems really challenging to me to create a sustainable and an authentic volunteering experience for largely unskilled teenagers from the united states or other western countries who don't know anything about costa rican culture um, like how do you do that that's yeah. I, I want to know. I want to learn. <laughs>
1: uh, well, it's not easy. Uh, that's that's for sure. Um, you know, and it's, it, it, you know, uh, to give some examples, you know, I just took, a, I was with a trip that we ran to Costa Rica, the middle school. Um, and, you know, speaking to the, the type of service, uh, we went into the school there and, and uh, asked them if they had any needs in the school and the principal um you know, after thinking about it came forth the fact that, you know, the, the hallways were barren and we'd really like to have some benches in the school. Um, so when, uh, our group showed up to to do some service work, um, we had with the help of the principal prepared the materials they would need to build some benches. Um, but instead of just going off and building the benches, um, you know, the idea was that we, uh, present the materials to our students and their students and we pose the challenge of uh, together you were going to build benches here for the school and so i think you know in doing so there was the element of having to interact having to use the language um, having to you know navigate basic carpentry skills that maybe one student had very little skills and another um, you know had more and so i think you know Therefore, you know, what emerges is is leadership skills. Um, and so, so all these things, I think, come together in, in what, you know, I, I think is an illustration of, of what can be, you know, uh, a meaningful service project, not only something needed in the school, but something where we're working together and that students are self-directed, you know, in
0: their learning. Um, so so I, I see how... Th- at experience like building benches and figuring out how to do it with uh, other teenagers in Costa Rica is definitely meaningful. What? How do you define the word sustainable? How do you define the word authentic? Does that does this, uh, building a bench in Costa Rica experience illustrate either one of those concepts?
1: Yeah, I don't know about uh, perhaps um, authentic. In this case, for us, um, sustainable is um, as often as we can um, supporting local um, establishments, local, you know, food establishments, local lodging establishments, being homestays, that kind of thing.
0: As, as opposed to... As
1: opposed to staying, you know, in a hotel that is perhaps foreign owned. Um, so as much as we can to empower economically, you know, with the choices we're making in traveling there, uh, benefiting the local communities, Um you know, I think it's very different uh, the way we go into a small community and get involved in in, in activities and service work and home stays. is a very different model from staying in a hotel that is located way outside of a community, um, where perhaps people in that community have to travel to go clean the rooms. Um, so, uh, in in this way, I think you know our what what we aim for and our goal is to be sustainable and supporting these local communities. Mm-hmm. And then also with that, I, in, my, in my definition of sustainable comes um, a respect also for the local culture and a desire uh, to to learn more. That it's a two way exchange of them learning more about us and us learning more about them. And that's where I think the authentic travel in mm-hmm. my uh, definition comes in. Um, in that these are experiences um, where that are that are not set up uh, for our consumption. So uh, they're not, you know, performing a dance um, that they are getting paid to perform for our group. Um, you know what? Uh, again, in this trip we just did in Costa Rica, uh, we gathered every night in the in the community center, and uh, had a couple nights where just kids put on skits and did musical performance and their kids would get up and do a couple and then our kids would get up. And a lot of them, they were just goofy. Um, you know, just a lot of nervousness, a lot of laughing, but but a lot of fun.
0: So it's like what a a group of summer campers would do just because it's great. It's, you weren't paying them to come and perform. Uh, so what, what would be like the polar opposite of a sustainable and authentic travel experience? Would it be one where you're staying in hotels, you are uh, just purchasing uh, stuff and experiences and food and not making any effort to actually communicate uh, what in, in the native tongue what else would make like the total anti global works trip
1: <laughs> well you know you know it's a good question but I, uh, also just to clarify I mean um, I wouldn't I wouldn't um, claim that we run 100% sustainable, unauthentic programs. That, yeah. that is our goal, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we certainly we have elements with all our trips of, of doing, like I said, adventure tours and whatnot, um, which are clearly set up with paid guides, et cetera. Um, sometimes we have to travel to, to, to ha- take that job, right? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, as we we're kind of presenting in this example, you know, um, I think in, in an ideal world, yeah, we're staying, you know, with families. We um, we choose to pay our families, for example, uh, for for food and lodging, uh, for, essentially for food, a stipend to stay there. But we're also careful about not paying them so much that they're they're doing it for purely monetary reasons, because uh, we don't want to create a hostling industry, you know, and this and, and this dependence and this. Um, desire to be doing it strictly, like I said, for the money. So it's a fine balance. I yeah, mean, that seems it is. That it's seems tricky. hard. You can never know for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah.
0: People's motivations.
1: Yeah, and so we do what what we say to families is, you know, we are our intent in coming here is to you know to perform with you a, a, a project uh, to which we will we donate money for the materials. Um, and and so in doing so, I think you know, um, again, we're making choices that uh, monetary choices um, that empower the local community and, and are things they need. And then are things again, that they're invested in coming out to, to participate.
0: In. Got it. Okay. So for example, if you're going to build something together, like you said, you would say we're going to pay for the materials, but we're not going to like pay you for this experience, which I mean, to me that sort of represents volunteerism mm-hmm. uh, where you're kind of paying for this very pre-made experience that's just going to go it's just going to happen over and over again with the next group of of paying volunteers which was mm. sort of a yeah a, a mystery in itself um it, is that accurate like- yeah I, I mean um i mean you might have to elaborate if there's a
1: question there in terms yeah i mean we're very careful too about um you know not creating like I said this dependence and in many of our communities we rotate So we have a three to five year rotation. Yeah, Um, Yeah, we just find naturally. Yeah, we just find naturally um, that the you know the enthusiasm and kind of the intent. Yeah, um, after five years, say of of being there, can um, become a little bit. Just like Jaded, the, the gringo group is coming yeah, again. We're exactly. going to have our payday. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's what we're
0: trying to avoid. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. think that's that's a tough balance to find and a, a worthy <laughs> yeah. quest to find it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. how did you get into this this game? What, what was your experience yeah. as a young person? How did you get into travel? How did you get into working with teens?
1: Yeah. I mean um, – I, I did. I did have the fortunate experience when I was young to live as a boy uh, in Colombia, South America. And so I think at a young age, uh, learning the language and valuing that experience as I look back, um, you know, as I graduated from college, I, I was actually involved in athletics or college, so I didn't have a lot of chance uh, to travel, although I had international studies and Spanish uh, degrees. And um but did, you know, travel through Europe on, on kind of the Eurail Pass, you know, as all the backpack travelers. And through that experience, I really, um, you know, I was having a lot of fun and meeting, you know, these backpack travelers from all over the world. But I really felt there what was missing was opportunities to connect with, with the local people and local cultures. Um, and so really, after coming back to the United States, uh, trying to decide on my next move, uh, I made, I put in my Peace Corps application and uh, went on to serve in the Peace Corps in Bolivia uh, for two years. And, Where in Bolivia? Uh, I was in Cochabamba in the central Bolivia, but certainly had the opportunity to travel throughout and, um, and to And Peru, what, what years were you in, in Bolivia? I was there in 92 to
0: 94. Oh, man. So, Bolivia no, yeah, right now Bolivia stories. is yeah. not a very developed country I can right. only imagine in the early 90s but yeah. was there political unrest there also in that time period
1: yeah there was I mean there was a lot of protest I mean the, certainly the the coca growing you know was kind of an its nascent uh, form and and the, um, there was definitely the tensions you know with the United States mm-hmm. um, I still have a clear memory of, of being there uh, when uh, Gore, Um, vice president, Gore at that time came down, it was the vice president at the time, but he came down to visit and he stepped off the plane and, uh, some delegation had a reef of coca leaves. They (laughs) they draped over his neck and uh, he was all disheveled and they caught him in pictures. And so, yeah, it was, it was definitely, there was some tension at that time, but, um, what do you, what was the big takeaway from that Peace Corps experience? Right. And, And yeah. And my takeaway, um, you know, joining the Peace Corps, you certainly saw a lot of different um, uh, approaches uh, in, in, in Peace Corps volunteers, and some were really there uh, to accomplish a mission, a job. Um, others were much more there for, you know, to, to just soak it up and, and the cultural environment. I really, you know, throughout those two years, I tried to balance those two things Um again, believing there was so much more I was going to learn than I could possibly teach that these cultures, you know, that exist as existed for thousands of years that we were not going to come in and be able to make fix, this, everything fix everything, everything two and make years. This, right, right. And so, um, so I really, the takeaway was that, you know, coming back, I ended up getting my master's in education and taught high school out in Seattle, um, and that's when I was kind of looking around for opportunities to do travel and got involved with Global Works and working with students, two of my biggest passions, and really felt that Global Works, uh, you know, provided this opportunity for high school students in, you know, for many a first-time traveling. Um, so it provides a safe environment, you know, through well-chaperoned experiences, but that that truly immerses students and challenges them um culturally you know physically mm-hmm. all the ways that i was challenged in the peace corps um and that also embodied you know an essence of 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 serving mm-hmm. um but also
0: with with mutual respect and exchange mm-hmm. you
1: know a big part of
0: it. so you were a high school teacher and then you worked for global works leading a summer program with teenagers correct what was that first program where'd you go I was uh ended up you know kind of uh, get
1: pigeonholed so I was in Costa Rica for 5 years actually. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so you, so, you know it uh, well. I know it well, yeah. I mean it's boy that country has changed a lot. Um although still like I said I think very genuine um and and you know when you get off the beaten track and
0: I have not been there myself. What I hear from travelers is that it's a very safe and easy place to go. And that, right. and because of that, it can feel like it's right. just like a second home for a bunch yeah. of Americans, Canadians, and Germans. Right. And, right. Uh, but you're saying as soon as you get out of those little enclaves, there's still some uh, authentic- authenticity to be found? It's getting
1: harder <laughs> for sure. And uh, like I said, I was just down there with my daughter a couple months ago. Um, and certainly with all the mega tourism and high rises and construction in some parts, um, it's, it's, it's getting harder.
0: Um, but yes, it can still be found. Um, but yeah. Can can you zip line between every different major location in Costa Rica yet?
1: (laughs) No, I think that's Puerto Rico. Oh, okay. (laughs) Wrong,
0: wrong vacation spot. Um, So going back to your earlier experiences, when were you in Colombia? How old were you? What was the context? Um, Yeah,
1: so uh, my my father uh, was a biologist and had a sabbatical down in Colombia. So again, we were um, yanked out of school in fourth and fifth grade, and uh, you know, I remember being frightened to death, um, you know, and and intimidated by the language um, and. Showing up, my parents first threw me into a a local public school, you know, for a couple of weeks, and uh, <laughs> I still I still have these 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 memories, you know, of, of just not understanding a word, and um, they ended up putting me in a, a private school. Um, they claim I was only there for a half a day or something. I, I, my, I I'm sure it was much longer weeks. than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you tough it out. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. But no, I mean, to that point, you know, um, with the trips that we run, you know, a lot of them, the the language immersion piece is, is a huge part of it. And when we go back and read the evaluations, what just hits home one after another is the confidence they gained um, in their language skills. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in so many of them, you know, they're in homestays. We, what we typically do is we put two students per home. Um, and they have the families typically have to have a private room for our kids. Um, but they're sharing their meals with families and they're coming together uh, with the group every day to do projects. But, um, like I said, I mean, for students, uh, that you have learned Spanish in the classroom and, you know, uh, to, to have to apply those skills in an unscripted, you know, environment, and find the means to communicate and come out of it having done so it's 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 pretty cool there's nothing like it no. there's
0: nothing that can replace an immersion experience mm-hmm. and, and so was that what you experienced in 4th and 5th grade in Colombia
1: yeah that's what i experienced in 4th and 5th and then in the peace corps as well mm-hmm. i think you also had some immersion Yeah, yeah. The reason I
0: I asked about the Columbia experience, I was a little bit older. After freshman year of high school, i taken one year of high school Spanish, which mostly was a joke. Like very few people retained any Spanish from first year high school. I'm sure your
1: teacher's not listening. Uh,
0: Probably not. (laughs) Lo siento. (laughs) And uh, then my dad asked me if I wanted to go do an immersion program in Chile, four weeks uh, as a solo homestay. Mm -hmm. So no, no other English speakers available and, and that was, you know, just like you said, mm-hmm. just every moment, not having a chance to retreat back into the safety of your native language mm-hmm. and being forced, you know, I had this, uh, I was in Chile, I was in Rancagua, and Chileans love to eat hot dogs and put all sorts of weird stuff on their hot dogs. And so I had this experience of uh, trying to get my host mother to pass the avocado over to me because they put avocado on their hot, which right. I now think is a great idea. But then I was yeah. like, Oh, they're so weird. And so I just sort of butchered the word, spanglished it, and said abogado, which means lawyer. And so yeah. I was saying, please pass the lawyer for my hot dog. And they thought that was hilarious. And uh, there's just no equivalent to that in a right. regular high school course, in a Rosetta Stone course, right. um, as immersion as we want to call those things. Yeah. Um, so I'm with you on, on yeah. the irreplaceable value of immersion yeah. uh, language. How do you – so you bring groups of students – um, down to foreign countries, how do you provide that immersion experience when they can just mm-hmm. easily go off and talk mm-hmm. to each other in English? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a good question. And I, and I think there's other organizations, um, on a spectrum, you know, that, that take it a, a lot deeper. Um, like your experience, um, you know, I think, uh, like Amigos de las Americas, I think does, uh, Great job of of immersing, from what I know about them, in, as students in much more of an immersive environment, a lot like a peace corps volunteer. Um, so a little bit more out there, less of kind of the group um, concept. Which you know, to really be pushed, I mean, that's what it requires. So you know, the way we approach it on our trips is our staff are speaking predominantly in the target language, mm-hmm. uh, really pushing kids to hear it and use it. Um, we throughout the we they go down with a toolkit of activities that were asking them to to really um integrate into the things we're doing every day as well so um you know for going river rafting you know maybe role plays getting ready to you know a la derecha a la izquierda you know um turns of their, uh, directions and that kind of stuff so doing role plays when we when we get ready to go into the homestays you know doing Uh, role plays of situations to expect and then i think some of the most um you know valuable experiences with the family obviously um we send them home at night with uh questions asked our homestay family Mm. so dig into the family history like yeah learn what did grandpa do how did you guys get here you know um and so having that list of questions to prompt them to communicate um then we come back together the next day and have you know, conversation. So what does your dad do? And, you know, where did they come from? And, um, so that's the way we, you know, approach the immersion. Um, but, you know, certainly the students being together, you know, will retreat, you know, um, into, into their, their, their native language, mm-hmm. you know, at times, what? but I think that's, I mean, for us, you know, it's really you know, language learning, you know, uh, is really about lowering the effective filter. Right. And, and I think, uh, I think that's why students are, doesn't work in classes yeah. um, because there's so much, there's so much pressure and every, everybody's eyes are on you right when the teacher uh, calls upon you to conjugate jugar you know, and um, um, there, you know, I think it just comes naturally when you're playing Jenga with a, you know, with a five-year-old or, you know, six-year-old,
0: Yes, yes. And they yell, mierda, 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 after the, the tower falls. Are we allowed to say that on a podcast? In Spanish, yes. Oh, in Spanish, yes. Okay. Uh, what about retreating into technology? Uh, this is something I think you and I, when we had immersion experiences uh, in the 90s or earlier, uh, didn't have to deal with. But now... Uh, it's so easy to just mm. grab the, the smartphone, get on the Wi-Fi, and then be back into English land. Yeah. Um, or not even English land, just like not even connecting with the, the group there, but being right. back at home mentally with friends and family. Yes. Uh, do you have a, a technology policy on your trips? We do. We yeah. do. In fact, we
1: collect all cell phones and all um, Internet-capable devices. Upon arrival, students are typically allowed to travel with them on travel days obviously a lot of anxiety about getting there and being together. But upon arrival, you know, our policy is to collect those devices. Um, And it's really laying the foundation, you know, which is what our staff I think do a great job of in the first, you know, day that we're there is, is why are we here? What are our goals as a group? You know, what is, Mm -hmm. what's going to get prevent us from reaching those goals and, um, be a distraction and unfortunately yeah like you said technology is we're in no way want to eliminate uh, or uh, uh, um, reduce the communication or the ability to communicate that a parent has with their kids sure. and so uh, they get calling cards they can always call home through the staff cell phone the staff can always, the parents can always reach the kids through our hotline we're on call 24 hours mm-hmm. during the summer mm-hmm. and during trips mm-hmm. so um, but yeah, I, I think it's a valid point. Um, and man, does it feel good to disconnect when you're forced to do so? And I, I think most kids would agree to that. You know, yeah. it's hard to do. I mean, I, I'm hard pressed to let go of my.
0: Yeah, I, I was recently surveying a group of teens about this idea I have for like a semester program. And I said, what should a, a weekly cycle look like? Then we started talking about Wi-Fi and mm-hmm. then they were the ones who suggested, how about you turn off the Wi-Fi like during the weekend? So then we have like, we're sort of forced to connect with each other. Mm-hmm. And I didn't say that. They said that. And wow. so yeah. I I do think there's some power. Yeah. As, as long as everyone knows what they're signing up for, it's not yeah, like right. they show up and the, you <laughs> just snatch their cell phone from them and say, sorry. Well, we have had students bring a backup phone. <laughs> smart. <laughs> yeah. Very smart. Yeah. <laughs>
1: No one's listening. Oh, they're listening
0: right now. Oh, they're listening. Just not my Spanish teacher. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about some interesting practical stuff that comes up on teen travel. Uh, I'd like to consider this, the sex drugs and rock and roll mm. at aspects because, oh, yeah. you know, parents are always concerned that, um, uh, that alcohol or drugs or sex is going to like, you know, destroy their, their poor child's life. Um, if they go away with a group with people they don't know and trust mm. and gosh, mm. I don't know do you, people like you and I have any way of guaranteeing that that's not going to happen, that they're not going to meet some boyfriend or girlfriend, that they're not going to get exposed to some something terrible? How do you yeah. let, let me ask the question, how do you make parents parents feel better that these things are not going to happen to their kids?
1: Yeah, I mean, again, I think it begins with uh, laying the foundation uh, and and we have, you know, again, a, gr- a group orientation talking we get there uh, again about our goals and what are we there and you know we if if it's not uh if if it's not uh elicited by the students our staff will step in and say you know what about alcohol and Mm -hmm. drugs and 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 you know we have to be you know this is this is a global works rule this is a global works you know hard and fast rule and if, you know, this does happen on the trip, it may be grounds for you know you going home and, and, and therefore not reaching our goals. Uh, and how disruptive would that be to this group and to this experience? It's not worth it, guys. You know, you're here for a week or two weeks. Um, you know, whatever happens at home, you know, leave it behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... That I feel like the approach has been very effective for us. I mean, there, uh, we, you know, out of, you know, 350 kids a summer, maybe have one or two, you know, that do have to get sent home. And in, in my experience, those students usually do not want to be there in the first place, mm. you know. And, and this I think is something that's we, we talked find. about earlier, which yeah. is
0: about having serious uh, student buy in in the process and and really Mm -hmm. if you're only taking kids on these trips who want to be there and can demonstrate that then your your chances of of trouble down the road drastically reduce right right Um, so it's one thing for a student to be apprehensive
1: about this experience and maybe a little reticent and i think we can take those students and, and convince them they want to be there and there's going to be a lot of amazing things that happen Um, And so I think they're motivated, you know, not to get involved in those things. But, um, but other than that, yeah, I mean, it's a matter of our staff being vigilant. And I mean, our trips are do have a pretty high level of supervision. Um, And we're, you know, we're very clear, we have our staff, you know, anywhere we go, um, delineate kind of the boundaries, if you will, um, as best as possible and document that fact. And Ultimately, at the end of the day, can we guarantee those students? You know, can't get their hands on alcohol? No, of course not. Um, but I think that's again what these trips are about: are, are making good choices um, and uh, and and you know, and learning that choices have consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, in in cases involving alcohol, uh, it's not necessarily. Um, black and white, the student goes home because in our experience, there's so many extenuating circumstances that can feed in. There's, you know, you have to be absolutely certain about, you know, a lot of times this comes via stories and hearsay. and Stories in
0: second languages. Yeah. Third languages. Right. Exactly. Uh, On that trip that I took to Chile as a 14 year old, there was very little kind of day to day oversight from the the staff. I don't. I actually don't remember the name of the company. Uh, genuinely, I don't. Uh, but what happened on like the second night that I was there is that my host brother, who was fifteen, took me out to. The, it was Friday night. Took me to the local high school, which had uh, turned their gymnasium into a, a sort of venue for the evening. Yeah. And uh, this band was playing called Los Tetas. And uh, after that, we went to just go hang out like downtown with a bunch of other fourteen and fifteen year olds. And they, someone busted out a bottle of Pisco, you know, Mm. grape liquor, essentially, and, and just started passing it around. And I I was in this social context where I was like, Oh, this is what I do. I just take a swig from this bottle. I never drank before. I ended up with my head in the toilet that night. And, uh, you know, when I look back on it, I think, man, that was sort of a fun, ultimately harmless experience. I kind of learned, you know, i I've never been a a heavy drinker and I sort of learned like, Oh, this can just not be that fun. And I learned that sort of earlier than perhaps I would have back in the States if I'd waited until like I'd gone to college to try to drink. Right. Um, And so as a trip leader and organizer myself, I have this, this, uh, this debate, which is like, I I know that these experiences when done safely, or maybe I was more lucky than safe, who knows for sure, um, can be beneficial, but also, from a liability standpoint and from a in loco parentis standpoint, yeah. um, that's not something I can sort of allow to happen no, no, no. on my trips willy nilly. Right. Willy-nilly. Right.
1: Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. We used to like in Europe, um, you know, in the first 10 years or so, uh, you know, really felt that having a glass of wine with your family at dinner was a. Part of the, it is part it's of the normal. culture, right, right. And so um, we, you know, initially all, allowed that kind of in that, in those terms with your family. But, um, you know, that that's a very fine line, of course. And, and you know, students it soon came around that, you know, I can have a glass of wine. What happens when I'm out at the local dance and dad hands me a rum you know? <laughs> and coke? And the second one and the third one. Right, exactly. And so we, we did after to attract those policies even in
0: Europe. (laughs) So you said you've sent a few teens home from your programs. Like what is it? You said usually they're the ones who don't want to be there in the first place, but what is the actual like material uh, thing that they they do to get themselves sent home?
1: Yeah, it has to really be a conscious, you know, violation of our policies and, and then also um, our feeling that, uh, that their health and safety is at risk. You know, through their actions, they've demonstrated um, that they they may not be able to 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 safely conduct themselves in the country, and so um, you know, obviously, in many cases, it's, it's students going out in very calculated manner, buying alcohol, getting egregiously drunk, um, you know, and, and those kind of clear cut cases. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as much as we and I, you know, I do you know, I I believe these should be educational experiences as much as possible. And I can think of an uh, instance, um, you know, when I was a leader, um, and we did have to send a student home, um, it was a second offense. It was a clear violation. Um, and it was really hard, but I saw that kid at, when I went to visit the school a year or two later and, um, he thanked me. He thanked me for giving him a second chance, and admitted he, you know, he blew it, um, and I was hoping to, you know, continue to travel and do that kind of experience. But um, so that's really the measure. I mean, it, you know, do, do, we have to feel, like you said, in locus parentis, that we have we can safely. Uh, the student can safely conduct themselves Mm -hmm. in that environment. And when they break that trust and they leave no means, you know, to, to rebuild that trust, um, then they have to go home. And Mm -hmm. so we say we reserve the right to send any kid home for, for violating those Mm -hmm. those policies. And sometimes, I mean, go on and on. I mean, it, it can be, it can be verbal harassment. It can be seemingly innocuous things, um,
0: sexual harassment well that wouldn't be so innocuous but (laughs) yes but no yeah you're right
1: i mean and and uh you know like i said uh verbal abuse or you know vandalism or even just refusal to put on a seatbelt. you know Mm -hmm. um those kind of if 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 there's repeated demonstration you know that the student can't abide by these rules that are clearly designed for their health and safety then we cannot, mm-hmm. you know, we, we can no longer, um, you know, be be liable for their yeah. actions, and they need to go home. Yeah. It's tricky, though. It's it's hard, and as a parent, you know, I uh, as a parent myself now, um, I remember when the founder, you know, uh, I didn't have kids back then, but he, you know, he said to me, Eric, you know, you got to realize in these circumstances um, for a parent. Uh, the, the student that you're talking about that may be a little breath that one, is not listening to you, you know, when you tell them to do something, you know, is, is still that baby that they had on their knee. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, we always see, you know, we see the best of our children as we should. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's hard. And I think, you know, it's given me, you know, again, as a parent having done this now for 18 years, you know, some sense of, of empathy you know, and having those conversations, um, but also, again, appealing to the fact that our ultimate duty is to keep these kids safe.
0: Mm-hmm. And and the travel, a small traveling group is not like a summer camp in the U.S. It's not like a school. It's not like all these other contexts where you can just send uh, the kid home or say, like, come pick up your, your kid right. tomorrow. Yeah. Like, it's a big deal to go oh, home. Yeah. It's international flights. It's lots of money. It's, yeah. 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 No, it's not to be done lightly yeah. at all. Uh, what do you feel the teens take home from your programs or from similar programs? What kind of skills? What sort of awarenesses that they really can't find easily elsewhere, especially through just classroom classroom based learning?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, getting back to the obvious of the language skills, but you know, just a greater, more broad skill is adaptability. Uh, I think, you know, students gain this confidence that they can be immersed into an environment completely different from their own. You know, their whole world thrown upside down and successfully navigate that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's modern day survival skills, mm-hmm. you know, uh, self-directed learning, self-directed learning. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the biggest, you know, whether I don't think it's framed often in that it's often framed as confidence. You know, I, I gain this confidence that I could do this. And, um, so I think that's the, the biggest, the biggest Mm -hmm. takeaway from these trips and, and, you know, uh, obviously I think something then that, uh, informs their college essays and their education, because you know, I don't believe it's the reason students do these programs, but let's be honest. I mean, these experiences for many students give them a breadth of experience they didn't have before, you know, about what it's like to live in another culture and how they gained leadership and confidence um, through this experience they had in their homestay or um, you know, how they you know built something that they, they never did poured cement before, and they learned to mix cement, pour cement.
0: Um, And so, yeah, that's confidence in the leadership. My guest today has been Eric Warner. Thank you, Eric, for being on the show. Thanks. It's already time. This is The Real Education Podcast. The show is produced with the assistance of Zen Zenith, who also created the music. For more episodes, visit BlakeBowles.com podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon.